Hello and welcome to Engagement Express, the new podcast series for HR engagement and communication professionals. As usual, I'm really excited to be giving you inspiration and tips on how to increase engagement in your organizations. My name is Kate Asiche and I'm an internal communications consultant who's worked with many well-known global brands to support their colleague engagement strategies. Join me every fortnight to hear more about the things you should be reviewing and doing regularly to increase engagement. For episode 13, we're in for a real treat, where I've been joined by the wonderful Rachel Miller, who's the director of All Things I See, and then advises professional communicators via personalized training, consultancy, and mentoring. She's a chartered PR professional and fellow of both the Institute of Internal Communication and Chartered Institute of Public Relations. Rachel's an international keynote speaker whose thoughts have been featured in a number of best-selling PR books. Communicators around the globe are training with Rachel via her new online masterclasses. There's a range of topics to choose from and the easy to use and comprehensive training can be completed at your own pace. Rachel's written her popular blog since 2009 and published over 1,500 articles to help comms professionals increase their skills, knowledge and confidence. Rachel's clients include Arm, BBC, Lego, NHS HSC, The Guardian O2 and the Zoological Society of London. You can find her online at All Things I See on Twitter, at Rachel all things I see on Instagram and via her website at allthingsic.com. Welcome to Rachel. I'm absolutely delighted to have you as a guest on Engagement Express. I have an ambition to interview the stalwarts of the industry and just get their views and their takes on engagement. So really pleased to have you here, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So just as a starting point, I wanted to get your view generally about engagement and your perception of it, because I've had a few contentious conversations with people on platforms like LinkedIn about engagement. And to some extent, I do agree with the descenders who say that engagement is not something that you can really capture. And I don't really talk about engagement per se in the podcast, even though it's the title of the podcast. I try to talk about the activities that you need to do to enable it. So just wanted to get your position on engagement as a topic. I think there's a real lack of clarity. So I think I'm not surprised by those comments. I think Often I find through my work that when there's confusion around engagement, it's because it means different things to different people. So starting point always for me is to provide clarity in terms of are we talking about the same thing? Because sometimes I know that you're speaking to David and Nita from Engage for Success. Sometimes I use a definition from Engage for Success about creating the conditions for employees to thrive. But sometimes when I'm communicating with clients and I'm really unpicking what do you mean by engagement sometimes they mean interaction they talk about you know Mm -hmm. how people engage with content and they mean reading you know reading content and that's very different to my understanding of employee engagement so I'm not surprised that there's comments like that because that lack of clarity leads to confusion and therefore if we're talking on different pages you know it's very difficult to have a well-informed discussion if people's mindsets are completely different 
Yeah, agreed. And most of those contentious conversations I've, I've been having come from a good place in that they feel as though the people I'm talking to don't fully understand what engagement is already. So they're looking for clarity, as you say. And the four pillars that have been outlined by Nita and David so clearly in the Engage for Success report have really broken it down into easy to understand segments, which people sometimes remember and sometimes don't. But I have a strong view that there's nothing wrong with exploring further within those pillars or even outside of them, what more can be done to increase engagement and to look at how employees can be engaged in the workplace. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, I think that's the right way to look at it. I think the problem, I think, with the pillars, I mean, I think they're fantastic. So if you think about them, you know, when they came out 2008, nine, yeah, the wording in them was quite unusual for the mindset of most organizations. So things like, so, you know, integrity, employee voice, strategic narrative, and what's the fourth one? I don't know. <laughs> uh, integrity. Narrative. Integrity, strategic narrative, engaging managers and employee voice, engaging managers. That was the missing yeah. one. So I remember when they came out, there was the language was around well-being. And mm. I remember having to Google well-being because we didn't really talk about well-being so much back in 2009. But now when we think about our organizations, the way they communicate, the way they want to interact with their employees, it's very much you know, well-being and mental health and well-being are at the heart of that, making yeah. sure that we're checking in with our employees, making sure that their conditions that we're creating for them to thrive include their mental health and well-being. So I think I see the drivers a lot. I see the foreign enablers or drivers a lot in my work, particularly mm. when people are doing internal comm strategies and they're maybe responsible for engagement and they're looking at how do we organize ourselves to make sure that we're keeping an eye on strategic narrative, integrity, yeah. engaging managers, etc. So I think my view is often what's taken away, often what's changed is the stretch stuff. So if you think about the enablers as is, you know, employee voice is not just about giving everyone a voice in the organization, but it's enabling them to challenge decisions. And that yeah. is often missing. And that is often what's removed. So I think Great to have an understanding of the theory, but the application is often where the nuances come for different organizations. Mm. And I, I think sometimes if you remove that, it's not just about giving your people a voice and taking you know what they say very seriously, but giving them the opportunity to challenge feels very different than paying lip service, if you like, you know, having an opportunity for them to have their say. It's what you do with it. And I think the it's sweet spot for, for me in engagement is what do you do when you've got those comments? How seriously do you take them? What actions do you take? And how are you mm. demonstrating that engagement is not just an annual survey? Exactly. I totally agree with that that viewpoint. And I was having a conversation with Edvita Patel from Comms Rebel recently, and she also spoke about the importance of employee voice and having that opportunity to talk about contentious issues and issues that aren't necessarily comfortable. And it's what you do with that information. So when people think of engagement, they think of sort of sunshine and flowers and roses <laughs> and chocolates. And it's often not that. It's often mm. difficult and laborious and cumbersome and contentious. And, you know, all of those things put people off. 
So I think it's human, isn't it? I think yeah. there is, you know, it's the way that we communicate as humans and therefore the way we work as humans. So that's right. It's entirely appropriate and right that you have that balance. I think if everything is all sunshine and roses, that doesn't reflect the reality. <laughs> doesn't reflect the reality exactly. of life and work particularly. And I know you're obviously coming at this from an internal communications perspective and understanding internal comms as well as you do. I'd like to ask you what your thoughts are on how internal communications can feed into engagement, because often it's put on our table as um, specialists to increase engagement. But of course, it's much more than just internal comms. Yes, it's an integral, very important piece of the puzzle, but it's not everything. So I wanted to get your idea on on that you know, perception that IC is, is engagement and how IC can partner with the rest of the organisation to create the right environment. I have this conversation a lot with clients in terms of who owns what, and there's often a bit of a bun fight in terms of, you know, yeah. where do things sit and where does the budget sit and where do responsibilities sit? And if I think about internal communication, you know, it's too important to be left down to one team, one department, one person. It's everybody's responsibility. If you have an internal comms function, we are the center of expertise and the center of excellence to role model what good behavior looks like and good communication looks like. The same is true of employee engagement, wherever it sits. And I feel like there's such a key role for internal communication because it's around the conversations that happen, not just the channels that are created from an internal communications point of view, but internal communication, the overarching way a company communicates, which could be one-to-one conversations from a people manager with their team, for example. And part of the creating the conditions for our employees to thrive is are those conversations as productive as they possibly can be? Do our line managers have the right communication skills to really nurture their employees and their team so they can feel engaged and they can feel motivated and can feel inspired? Mm. So for me, the internal comms and engagement go hand in glove, but it shouldn't just be the responsibility of internal comms or of HR. Employee engagement is a business-wide concern. And if it's not, it should be because... You can feel the tangible difference when employees are engaged. And conversely, you can feel the tangible difference when employees are not engaged and they are, you know, there's silos and very fragmented organization. The experience you have as an employee feels so different when it's broken. It does. It does. And I love that word you mentioned just now, experience. And there's this whole mantra now around employee experience. And it's interesting because I posted an article today from the Harvard Business Review on employee experience, that very topic. And it really resonated with me because employee experience is how an employee feels every day in the workplace and also, you know, instilling memories of the organization, even if they leave, are they positive overwhelmingly, are they negative overwhelmingly? And it's really interesting for me to look at that because that's very much a new area in terms of HR, you know, the employee experience and looking at engagement as part of the employee experience. What are your perceptions, if you have any viewpoints, on this emergence of employee experience function and the new engagement roles that are being created? So I think, I mean, I've been writing about it since 2016 and it's not, in my mind, it's not new. It's something that we've always done, but I think it seems to be gaining in prominence at the moment. Mm. So I look at it, from a theoretical point of view, I remember writing about 
I've been writing a blog for 11 years on internal comms. And back in 2016, I wrote an article about employee experience, what it is, why you should think about it. And I referenced Jacob Morgan's work from the Future Organization. And he has a model which is employee experience is having the right tools, technology and culture and Part of it is the life cycle, you know, from recruitment to retirement, what's the employee experience like? That's right. So when I look at that, you know, that brings together, you know, companies who have been created in recent times have been able to create employee experience departments. Airbnb, mm-hmm. for example, is, is an yeah. organization that's done that. Because they're not set up in silos, you're looking at how can we create the right conditions in terms of culture, tech and physical space, well, that requires HR, facilities, IT working together much more as a joined up approach rather than I go here to do this little bit and this department for this little bit. So I feel like there's various schools of thought whether engagement is an outcome of experience or experience is an outcome of engagement. Yeah. My take on that is you need to be mindful of, you know, I believe you need to measure what you treasure and you need to be mindful of what are we trying to achieve aspirationally as an organization? What are we here to do? What does good look like for our employees? How do we need them to work? How do we want them to work? And then what are the conditions we need to do? And you will find it is experience. It is physical. It is cultural and it is tech. And if you yeah. have all of those together in one place, then you're focused on experience. Yeah. That's what it amounts to at the end of the day. It's so fascinating for me because, you know, when I think of, you know, the whole employee experience and the whole picture, the bigger picture with tech and with HR and with training and development and with communications, you know, I think about authenticity as well. And a lot of organizations I've noticed are trying to create this experience, which is not authentic to the business and is trying to perhaps emulate other organizations that have different cultures, different values, different behaviors Mm -hmm. um, and different expectations around outcomes. Do you have any experience of that in terms of authenticity and applying that to the employee experience? So trying not to be a Ben and Jerry's if you're not. <laughs> I think, so I audit a lot of companies in my work. And I remember about five years ago going to an office and it was a really buzzy office. I walked into one floor and there were beanbags everywhere. Yeah football table in the corner and it was really buzzy and and really vibrant and really colorful and I'm like this is a great place it feels Mm. really great and then I went one floor up same layout same bean bags but it was silence and it was so stark and I felt like I had I was with my client who was the director of comms and I felt like I needed to tiptoe across the floor to just not make any noise and it was really fascinating for me because there is the same environment, you know, physical setup, but actually the culture was very different in terms of the way things are done around here. It was very different. And I said to my client, oh, my goodness, what is going on there? And he said, yeah, different, different management style. So the managers on those two floors were very, very different. And therefore, mm-hmm. you can have all the shiny stuff. You can have all the beanbags. But if your culture and your the management style doesn't enable your people, you know, trust your people to work in the way that suits them, which may be having music on, which may be having conversations, yeah. then it's just, it looks pretty, but it's pretty ugly to work inside. So it was really, I've never seen such a stark example. Amazing. Because if I'd have gone in on the first, you know, the top floor first, I would have thought, oh my goodness, this isn't a nice place to work. And then gone to the floor below. Yes. And gone, oh, True. actually, it could be. So 
I've never seen such a stark example. So I think for me, experience does come down to you know, it's people and personalities and it comes down to management style. So you could have the best equipment and the best tech and the best environment. But actually, if you don't trust your people or you don't give them autonomy in their work or you don't allow them to be themselves at work. I'm, I'm talking pre-lockdown you know, when we were able to be to be inside. In the office, yeah. yeah. Then you can feel it. It's tangible. It is tangible. And it's funny how I mean, I'm a fairly sensitive person myself. And whenever I walk into an office or a company or an organization premises, I always get a feeling uh, very quickly for what the atmosphere is like it's funny how as a human you can absorb that very quickly and tell whether Mm. it's good or bad whether it's positive or negative you know there are different energies which sounds quite difficult to pin down but it's something that you just feel and if it's a low sort of a down feeling it does have an impact you know if you're going into that every single day it does so I have an unofficial test I have a cup of tea test I call it (laughs) I spend a lot of time going to lots of different organizations and I completely understand what you're saying. When I walk in, I imagine I'm there for an interview. And yeah. I imagine, because I want to feel what it's like to experience being an employee as much as you yeah. can when you're there as a consultant. So I go in and I imagine I'm there and I, I know how chatty are the people on reception, how chatty are the security yeah. people if you're in a head office, for example. Do you get offered a cup of tea? And normally, yeah. I mean, it's not a very scientific test, but normally what I find is you get given a branded mug, there might be some papers, there might be some biscuits. Yeah. And then you meet your client, you go through the doors, you go through security, and then they inevitably, I mean, I drink a lot of tea, so this is never a problem for me, Kate, but then they say, would you like a cup of tea? And I always say yes. And then the scrabble is on. We're hunting for mugs and we're in lockers and the tea bags are locked down. And the difference between walking from reception into the workplace is often such a huge divide where it feels very different you're completely right that vibe that energy that you get feels very different and obviously you're putting on a show out front you're trying to you don't know who's sitting there but I'm always fascinated by that I'm always fascinated by the even if you open the fridge I know is everyone's milk all individually marked up yeah what's the trust level there what's the investment level there of it's such a small thing but I know particularly when I worked in-house we changed the coffee and oh, the uproar that was caused by rotating the coffee that was provided in the kitchen. The right brand, yeah. It was awful. But that impacts the way people feel and whether they feel engaged, whether they feel motivated, because it's how invested they feel, you know, how much they feel the company invests in them, which might manifest itself through coffee. So it's it's often the small stuff. So that's my unscientific... No, it's a good it's a good litmus test. But I'm, you're not alone in drinking a lot of tea. I also consume copious amounts of tea every day, so you're in good company. It's interesting what you say. It is the little things. It is the little things. You know, I was nodding viciously as you were saying that because you know often it's the toilets. You know, the toilets we don't have, for example, spray in the toilets. I've heard that a few times. The toilets are always, you know, out of order. A couple of them are always out of order. Um, could we get some nice hand wash in the toilets? Could we get this particular brand of coffee? You know, tea, people don't seem to be so fussy about for some reason. Any old brand will do. Builders <laughs> and all the rest of it. And, you know, a decor, you know, people have said, I've seen companies that where people, employees have put down on the survey, could we get some pictures? Could we get some art? Could we get some imagery, some mm. visuals? 
just to brighten up the office. And they're, they're small things. They don't cost very much at all. It's interesting, isn't it, how, you know, much of a difference that can make. And if organisations were to pay a bit more attention to those little things, perhaps they could get a better experience than they do. Yeah, I think to your point around values a moment ago, I think it often feels like not just about, you know, our behaviours and how we say we want to be as an organisation and what our values are, but also how valued our employees feel. And it it is those small things. It really is. And I think particularly if you're thinking through the lens of organisational values, particularly, you know, if we talk about mutual respect and we talk about all these aspirational statements, which hopefully are lived, which hopefully are felt Mm. and part of the DNA of our organisation, often where there's a disconnect or integrity gap, if you like, between what we say and what we do comes in those small things. And I think particularly now, the conversations I'm having with clients at the moment are around how can we create that same feeling of belonging? I'm having so many discussions about belonging at the moment where because we're not together, because we're not in a physical space together and you don't have the opportunity to have your tea or coffee or artwork on the wall. And it's how do we enable our employees to still feel connected, to still feel a connection when Mm. we're not physically together? And I'm fascinated by that. I'm really enjoying those conversations and helping my clients think that through because that's so important. And particularly at the moment, if there's no plans for people to return to workplaces and some of my clients are not planning to return until January or some yeah, even in, in spring. Yeah. So there's a lot of months between, you know, now recording this in, in August, between now and spring. That's a huge opportunity to disengage a lot of people if you yeah. don't do it right. So I think no, it's, it's a really good point. I'm having very similar conversations about how to create that shared experience when you're remote. And I've seen some really interesting initiatives put into play, for example, shows after work that are done virtually, sort of um, mystery dinner murder mystery dinner and murder thing you know the British people love their murder mysteries so that's really popular as <laughs> well that's yeah great. tea coffee you know it's got a tea sort of um British tea time at three o'clock everyone logs on and has their scones and their tea etc so yeah there's some really innovative ideas that are sort of being brought and it's funny how necessity is the mother of invention I think that's now more true than it's ever been and we're having to think differently before I let you go I wanted to ask you two more questions the first one being how you see IC today with the whole transition of IC being much more of an integral part of the business planning with the emergence of the crisis and the focus on engaging employees during this time of remote working and I see having um, a better seat at the table I don't necessarily think they've got where they need to be where do you see IC today as opposed to where it was pre-COVID and perhaps where you see it going in the future? So I would love to say that we are strategic business partners and that we are influencing and negotiating and persuading at all levels and doing what we've always wanted to do and For many organisations, that is true. For many organisations, it still feels like business as usual and it still feels in so much as we're still trying to influence and we're still trying to negotiate and still trying to persuade. And what I'm observing, there's two camps for me where some people I'm working with are, you know, the time has come finally. People are turning to us and saying, "What, what do we need to do? Help us understand what we need to do. And then other people going off and making decisions and then come into the comms team and saying, can you just send this out? 
So <laughs> I would love for us to all be in that first camp where we just feel, you know, really yeah, able to do everything we need to be inside our organizations and to really help our organizations communicate well at the right time in the right way to make sure our employees have got the right information at the right time to do their jobs. But it's just not the case. It's not across the board. So I would love to say that. I would love for that to be the case. But what I am seeing is internal communicators working incredibly hard. If we thought we worked hard before, oh my goodness. It's And, you know, there's a real concern for me there in terms of mental health and well-being. Mm-hmm. People are, you know, adrenaline gets you through. When you're in crisis comms mode, which is what we have been in, You that adrenaline carries you through. But right now it feels like, the relentless pace, it kind of wanes a little bit and then there'll be a local lockdown and it ramps up again or there'll be mm-hmm. something that happens and it ramps up again. So I feel like there's never been a more interesting time to work in internal comms. I'm so proud of all the work that I've observed people doing and yeah. I'm certainly trying to support them as much as I can with content and ideas and sharing resources because in such a visible position, more now mm-hmm. than, than ever before. I've been in it myself and during the initial lockdown period when the government was doing the evening briefings, that was very challenging because you had to focus on what Boris was saying every evening or the chief medical officer was saying and then translate that into a clear communication for employees when you didn't even really know yourself what was happening. So that was an unusual position to be in. And finally, I just want to ask what's happening with you today with all things I see. I've seen that you've launched or relaunched rather your website, which looks amazing. Thank uh, you. Well done. And congratulations on that. Really fantastic online presence you have. Not that it was bad before, but it's even better now. <laughs> Thank um, you. What, what are things looking like for you today? What's on the horizon for all things? So at the moment, I'm really concentrating on my online masterclasses where this was always the plan for this year and I'm delighted to be able to have launched them. And I've been working face-to-face training internal comms practitioners around the globe since 2016, particularly bringing people together to learn about internal comms, give them a confidential space to try things out, have some theory, have some brainstorming space with me and then go back into their super visible roles And for all the people that I've trained face-to-face, which is nearly a 1,000 practitioners now, I've had probably the same amount of people saying, I'd love to work with you, but I can't come to London or I can't get the budget to travel. Do you offer training online? And I haven't been doing that. So Mm. this year for me is about how can I help practitioners wherever they are globally? So I'm really proud to have launched online masterclasses and I'm constantly adding to the website. So they're over at allthingsice.com and in there, there's a whole suite of masterclasses. So wherever you are in the world, you can learn because often when you're up against it and you're you know, on deadline or on pressure from your organization, you need access to information to help you learn. So yeah. That's what I've launched. And I'm really proud to have launched those because you have 12 months access. So you can take your time, work through the training at a time that suits you and know that you can check in with me if you need advice and guidance as you go through. There's VIP options where I can support you wherever you are in the world. So I'm delighted to finally got those courses out of my head and out of my heart (laughs) and out into the wild to support practitioners wherever they are. Yeah, um, you are a great source of information and advice and, and counsel. And I've seen online, specifically on um, LinkedIn, 
where practitioners have mentioned that you've supported and helped them. So it's great to see that. And it is a friendly profession that we work in, you know, internal communications. Everyone tries to help everyone else as much as possible. That's quite unusual and unique. So well mm-hmm. done for getting those courses out. And I, I can fully you know, align myself with that statement that you made about getting things out of your head onto paper or online. You know, I have a similar itch as I call it, a constant itch to get things out. And that's why I launched this podcast. You know, it's been sort of niggling away at the back of my mind for a while, how I can share my experience and knowledge. Because I get the opportunity to speak to wonderful practitioners like yourself, Rachel. So thank you once again for taking the time to speak to me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm always keen to help people learn, particularly about engagement is such an important part of what we do as internal comms practitioners so thank you and well done to you for launching it and getting those ideas out of your head and heart into reality